In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It was sudden and surprising. It happened all at once. Like someone starting a fire by blowing on a few embers, there came a mighty, rushing wind from heaven. And tongues like fire were then kindled, appearing visibly, and they rested on the disciples. It had been 50 days, Pentecoste in Greek, since the Passover Sabbath. 50 days since Holy Saturday, after the Lamb of God had been slain. And now that Christ had arisen and ascended into heaven, the things happening among the disciples took place as our Lord had said. He promised before his departure that the Father would send the Holy Spirit in his name. Jesus said that the Spirit would bear witness to him and that the apostles would do the same. And now at last the time had come. A great mystery was unfolding. Now the Holy Spirit was being poured out upon the apostles, equipping them in a special way for their task that lay ahead. They were enabled to speak other languages they didn't know beforehand, and they performed many other signs and wonders in addition. But the Spirit didn't give these things for their own sake or for Christians ever afterwards to try and imitate. The miracles worked by the apostles confirmed the much greater work done in and through them, that by their word and witness in the Spirit, people would believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of all their sins. For it was on Pentecost when the apostolic ministry began in earnest, when Christ, through their labor, began extending the kingdom of heaven even to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit was poured out bringing renewal through the word of Christ, gathering people from every nation into the church. Indeed, the renewal begun at Pentecost started with the disciples themselves. Just consider their lot for a moment, if you would. After receiving the gift of the Spirit, we find them bearing witness to Christ before the masses with St. Peter even leading the charge. But were not these men just a short time ago hiding behind locked doors for fear? Weren't these the men who so often would showcase their ignorance, and sometimes rather loudly? Philip, for example, was among their number on Pentecost, the one who after three full years with Jesus said to him, show us the Father and it is enough. Failing to perceive that Jesus before him, before his very eyes, is the very image of the Father. Thomas, too, presented himself before the crowds there with the apostles. And there he stood as one who formerly refused to believe the testimony of those now with him, that they had seen the risen Lord. And who is this Peter who rises to give the sermon? 
Isn't this Peter, the one who said he would die with Jesus, but then denied him three times later? Unable to endure being questioned by a servant girl when our Lord Christ was before the Sanhedrin being interrogated? Isn't this the same Peter? Yes, indeed. There they were all publicly for everyone to see. But they stood unashamed and unafraid, ready to bear witness to Christ even in the face of mockery and derision because it was the very same Christ who had richly and freely forgiven them. Therefore, they stood completely in his grace. And now, as he had promised them, he sent the Holy Spirit upon them, the Spirit who overcame their great weaknesses and renewed them, made them into an altogether different kind of men, and furthered this by guiding them into God's holy word of truth. And he breathed into them living faith and confidence that our crucified and risen Lord is the center of all things. The Spirit had made them bold, courageous, and faithful to this confession. Now they were different from how they were before. It's very much like what one of our ancient church fathers once said, that when the Spirit is present, he makes men of gold out of men of clay. And the work of renewal begun by the Spirit in the apostles that day, would likewise spread to many others in their hearing. Only the first part of St. Peter's sermon that he preached is printed in your service folder today. But Scripture tells us that by the time he had finished, the people listening were cut to the heart. For Peter proclaimed the whole house of Israel guilty of crucifying the Christ. In his preaching, he confronted them with their sin and unbelief and the Holy Spirit working in and through Peter's words convicted them about these things as Jesus said he would. And when asked what they should do, having recognized their guilt, St. Peter didn't point them to any signs or wonders. That is not what he did. He pointed them to the washing away of their sins, that they too might stand in grace forgiven and free. He pointed them to the washing of regeneration and renewal and the promises of God therein. Repent and be baptized, he says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in all, there were some 3,000 souls added that day whom the Spirit renewed in repentance and baptism by granting them faith in the apostolic word, faith that the very one they had crucified was now their savior for what they had meant for evil. God had worked for their greatest 
good. And now Christ the crucified, Christ the arisen, Christ the ascended, was washing their sins away and pouring out the Holy Spirit upon them, that like the apostles themselves, they too might be thoroughly renewed. But by no means were these 3,000 souls added that day to be merely a statistic. These souls were not added up simply to pad St. Peter's resume. No, these souls were gathered together in the Spirit and added as living stones to the holy Christian church. The apostles and prophets being the foundation, Christ himself being the cornerstone, and the renewing work of the Spirit and his gathering people into the church in and through the apostolic word has continued now for 2,000 years. What then shall we say, even all these years later? Is it not the case that Christ was crucified precisely because of our sins? Does not the holy law of God reveal to us how far we are from ever saving ourselves? Do not his holy commandments reveal to us the sad and sorry state of our sinful condition? What terrible corruption dwells not just in the world, but in our own hearts. Indeed, we are so corrupt we cannot even detect it if God's law doesn't reveal it to us. Not only our deeds, but our words. Not only our words, but our very thoughts. And not merely these, for sin infects us to the very core, to our heart. So, that, so then let us be cut to the heart as well. Let us follow the lips and finger of St. Peter as he directs us to holy baptism. At the font, let us remember that it is no mere pastor, no mere man who has baptized us and washed our sins away. No, it is Christ himself who has done these things. Christ whom we crucified with our sins. He suffered himself to be crucified to remove our sins. And therefore, he who was so tender and merciful to the apostles is now tender and merciful to us as well. He who was and is their pastor is now our pastor. Christ the crucified, Christ the arisen, Christ the ascended even now pours out his Holy Spirit upon us and within us so that we might know and believe that in his grace we are utterly renewed. Our hearts are made clean. Our ears are filled with the apostolic word. Our very selves, body and soul, gathered unto Christ our Savior in his holy church as living stones. We too have been renewed for action, renewed to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
We've been renewed to proclaim Christ and the apostolic word in our homes and wherever opportunity arises. We are renewed this Pentecost day. And therefore, we also wear no labels and no names that this fallen world gives us. For we belong only to Christ. We bear only His name. We are Christians, everlasting saints, and everlasting friends of the one who daily and richly forgives us, of the one who knows us intimately, who loves us, and even now calls us his very own. And to Christ is all power, honor, and dominion forever and ever. Amen.